I don't mind that. No. What I do mind is when I get in and I'm kind of thinking, oh, do I buy that? Do I buy that? Do I buy that? Or where is the truffle mayonnaise? Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week, we are joined by David Croft, but saying that feels weird, so we'll just stick with Crofty, of course, the voice of Sky Sports F1's coverage. He's been their lead commentator since they took over the rights in 2012. Before that, he was with BBC Five Live and has had a host of other gigs over the years. He joined us from his new home to chat about his career, thoughts on the current state of Formula One and his beloved West Ham. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like what you hear, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to episode 26 of the Motormouth podcast. Before we introduce today's guest, we have to head, as always in these lockdown times, through the airwaves to the county that has more speed cameras per mile than anywhere else in the world. It's also a land where, as our guest today will be interested to hear, is where the first ever radio broadcast was made in June 1920 in Chelmsford. Yes, it's Essex and my co-worker, companion, collaborator and indeed friend, Harry Benjamin. How are you? Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very well. Thank you for all the facts about Essex as ever. They really amaze me every week you're welcome um uh yes and i've actually got some news some breaking oh, news for you go on um now uh people listening won't be able to see this but you can if you see it on my instagram i finally gave in and gave myself a haircut yes and the outcome is not brilliant um it's very short oh, right, we'll put the hat actually on. that looked a little bit patchy to be honest with you it is very patchy it's not great um also <laughs> the lighting as well it, it was a disaster i didn't plan it like that i wanted a short back and sides i made a mistake as soon as i put the shaving clippers in and i just had to try and rectify it and that meant and that meant shaving the whole thing well don't worry we've, ah, so we've yeah, all got great. a lockdown haircut at the moment so I wouldn't worry about it too much well, my, <laughs> my, my news is that I've got a new car being delivered in about 20 minutes Ooh, um, doing well. so uh, the father-in-law is going to take care of that it's nothing flash it's a Skoda oh someone's an adult yeah Skoda with seven seats no less Ooh, get you um, there's the next sponsor of the podcast thank you Skoda yeah. that, that'll be lovely um, anyway look uh, shall we introduce today's guest let's do it okay so today we're joined by the modern day voice of Formula One a man that started out in hospital radio before climbing the ranks through the BBC and eventually finding himself leading the commentary for Sky Sports F1 his voice is familiar to us all but do you really know David Croft let's find out welcome to the Motormouth podcast Crofty how are you I thought this was a nice, pleasant chat, not the psychiatrist chair. What's <laughs> going on here? Hi, chaps. How you doing? Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, how are you doing? How is lockdown treating you? I'm okay, uh, to be fair. Uh, busy as ever. We're, we're trying to come up with lots of uh, uh, weird and wonderful and wacky ways to create some entertainment for all the Formula One fans that, that mm. are missing, like the rest of us, uh, our fix. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday the 13th of May. We should start by saying happy birthday to the Formula One World Championship of course absolutely, absolutely. 70 years yeah. 70 years and also happy birthday to stevie wonder because he's 70 today as well is that right Ooh, i did not know that yeah this, this this was my fabulous fact from the thousandth race celebrations in china last year where i actually oh, yeah. worked out that stevie wonder was born on the same day as the f1 world championship that's amazing <laughs> 
I've seen <laughs> I've seen Stevie Wonder in concert. It was it was amazing. I wasn't expecting great things, but unbelievably, he moves around the stage like you would not believe. Where did you see Stevie Wonder in concert? I actually on the F1 theme saw him in Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina Circuit. I can't remember the year. It was uh, would have been a few years ago now. But yeah, it was it was at the the claws of Ferrari World where they have the concert mm. there at uh, Yas. I yep. saw him. I saw him there. Because we went to see him um, in Austin. He played the Grand Prix after after Austin. Okay. We had a brilliant night where um, we finished the race and we, we came off air and myself, Lasers, Paul DeResta and... I think Nats was there. Rachel might have been there as well. There there was a whole load of us. Um, And our producers and VT editors all went into the gig. Um, We thought, well, well, we haven't got tickets. We don't know how to to, to get in. So we just, we went through the TV compound and walked on the track to where the stage was. Nobody stopped us. And suddenly we're in the golden circle and we're about 20 yards from the front (laughs) of the stage watching Stevie Wonder. And it um, it was a concert where he got down on two knees. Everyone was like, taking a knee, yeah. uh, protesting against the president when he got down on two knees and played the Star Spangled Banner. Just one of the most amazing concerts we've yeah. ever been to. He's, he's fantastic. Story. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's really good live, really, really good. Um, mega. At, at the um, at the US Grand Prix, where do you go on Sunday night after the race? Are you, was it Were you in the blind pig with, with half the rest of the paddock getting completely slaughtered? Uh, well, obviously, I can't answer that one. Too. Yeah, of course, I was in the blind pig with everybody else. It's, uh, uh, the blind pig is where it all happens yeah. uh, in Austin, especially yeah. on a Sunday night. For, for anyone who's not been to the Austin Grand Prix, if you like great music, great stakes, good beer, and a great, great racetrack, it is one of those you've got to tick off on your yeah. bucket list. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I, I I think they've done a fantastic job with that circuit. Yeah, and um, I really do. And, and Austin is a city. I was meant to be going there actually to celebrate my 50th birthday in right. a month's time because the Black Crows were play, reforming and playing at the track and I thought what a great place to go and celebrate being 50 and pretend you're 20 again. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's going to happen sadly but Austin you've got to you've got to tick it off. All F1 fans need to go there. It's brilliant. I went for the first time last year um, and absolutely loved it and uh, we had Halloween obviously at the same time so that added mm. to the atmosphere. The thing that shocked me the most was the temperature. I couldn't believe how bloody cold it was. Uh, yeah, it can uh, in November to be honest the first year we were there they we had a red flag because there was so much fog around they couldn't uh, the medical helicopter couldn't take off from the hospital to get <laughs> to the circuit yeah it can and, and, and we we had as well forget the year but the the infamous um, five-hour qualifying broadcast where nothing happened <laughs> um, and and it was almost as if Stevie Ray Vaughan was playing Texas Flood live for us <laughs> on that particular afternoon uh, and it, it we went on air knowing there would be no qualifying somehow managed to fill five hours of television but you know when, when you work with the best it's a piece of cake the ultimate amount of filling and waffling going on <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Crofty let's uh, let's take it back a, a few years um, you're, you're uh, you were born just down the road from me I believe uh, Stevenage and uh, yeah, where are you I'm in uh, well very close to Hitchin a little village called Clifton um, which is 25 minutes up the A1 from, from Stevenage I used to play cricket there once upon a time oh did you uh, yeah, as, as yeah. an away game uh, yeah yeah I, I, I know Clifton very, very well. It's a, uh, it's a gorgeous place. It still, is. It's, actually, has it still got the um, the Clifton Tandoori? Yes, and, uh, and yeah. we go there a lot. 
one of my favourite Indians after the Kushbu in Brackley, yeah. which has the Karun Chandok menu and also serves the Crofty Naan. There we go. Look at that. What is your, what is your curry order? Just off tangent slightly. Oh, yeah, it depends on the mood. And I actually made a biryani on Sunday because it's mm. lockdown and you know, I've got a chance to, to get into the kitchen. Mm. Um, I used to like a Jalfrezi. Yes, my favourite. Um, Love a Jalfrezi. That is my go-to. Yes, Jalfrezi. Yeah, yeah. To, to be honest, something with a bit of flavour. Uh, it doesn't mm. have to be hot, long as it's got a bit of flavour. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you ever go by, if you're ever in Brackley, go to the Kushboot, go on the Karun Chandok menu, and then have the Crofty Naan as well. So I didn't, this this podcast is going to go on a long time today because we're going to go <laughs> off on tangent. I always do. We like that. Um, I was in there with Karun and, and, and the owner, who is a, is a absolute top gentleman, but he's he's Indian cuisine's answer to Basil faulty, and that's the respect he gives everybody that goes in there. Um, there's a lot of famous <laughs> F1 autographs and pictures on the wall, and uh, he asked me what I wanted, so I gave him the order, and I said, "Just can I have a chili, cheese, and garlic naan, please?" So we don't do that. So what do you do now? Put it on. <laughs> he said, "I can't make that." I said, well, yeah, "You think you think you're good? You go and make me one of those." And he came back. Um, having made two, one for himself and one for me, and said, right, I'm putting it on the menu. Uh, we'll call it the Crofty, Crofty Naan. So uh, there you go. I have oh, influence now. We'll have to give it Brilliant. a go. It sounds excellent. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, yeah, sorry, I was born in Stevenage. Let's born go, in Stevenage. Let's go back 49 right. years, yes. shall we? Let's go back 49 Cast years. Oh, this is going to take a very long time. So so yes. what, what was life like in Stevenage all those years ago? And, and well, uh, for most people, you know, it was a, a, a trying to get round the roundabouts in one piece. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was, was perhaps the hardest part. I mean, what was life like? Is it? It was just a normal life, to be honest. I, um, I, I nothing spectacular happened in my life whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was a boy that used to love listening to the radio. Used to love listening to sport on the radio and, and on the television as well. Um, and I wanted to do two things uh, when I was a youngster. Um, initially, I wanted to be a dustman. Because um, in Stevenage, obviously, you've got to have ambition. Oh yeah, um, and um, and then I thought, no, I, I want to be a sports commentator, and, and that's what I wanted to do with my life. But you try telling your teachers, I want to be a yeah. sports commentator, and get taken seriously. It just didn't happen. So I, I, I went into the theatre. I became a theatre publicity officer. Okay, um, for, oh. for for a few years. Well, I was a stagehand. Uh, I had a job as a stagehand, which I absolutely loved. It was it was magnificent. Um, you know, hot, sweaty, dirty, uh, disgusting work at times, but lots and lots of fun. And then I became the press officer at, at the local theatre. And it was it was through then, uh, through working there, uh, a very good friend of mine, a guy called Darren Eisted, who was the editor uh, or became the sports editor of the local newspaper, gave me my break in, in journalism. He said, do, do you want to go and report on Stevenage Borough? For us, can't pay you, but I'll give you a byline. And I, I said yes, and that's what started me out on on this long kind of road to where we are now. I've, I've got no qualifications as such to to do what I do. I never had any training formally uh, for it, but it's it's something I always wanted to do. So I I got a foot on the ladder and 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 worked my way up. Did you when you were younger? Did you do that thing that I did, where you, you're kicking a ball about or whatever sport you're playing as a kid, and, and you're sort of commentating to yourself as you go along? Oh, God, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's where you learn the ability to, to talk to yourself for long periods without thinking that it's a, an insane thing to do, which it pretty much is because, you know, as a commentator, you don't get any feedback until you come off air. You, you have no idea what the audience are thinking Yeah, because um, you're very much in the moment. But, yeah, football, um, uh, cricket, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, trying to play Jeffrey Boycott forward defensives uh, up against the wall. And I used to go on my bike and, and kind of pretend to be a, a racing commentator on my bike as well. But, you know, I used to... I, they said to be absolutely wowed by the likes of Peter O'Sullivan and, and Harry Carpenter, Peter Jones, who was a, a famous uh, radio commentator at the time and, and one of my absolute top broadcasting uh, uh, broadcasting heroes. And of course, Murray, who yeah. you, you, you mm-hmm. listen to on a Sunday afternoon. I, I, I still remember being in a horizontal on the sofa watching uh, in the early 80s. Uh, yeah pretty regularly the Formula One that, that will be on. I, I wouldn't say I was a massive F1 fan, but I used to tune in and, and watch the live sport whenever it was on. And luckily, you know, Formula One tended to, to, to be on. Does it sink in today that you are probably the modern day, you know, Murray Walker? Does that, does that ever sink in? Do you ever think like that? No, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not the modern day Murray Walker. There, there is only one Murray Walker who... Um, Murray, I, I don't just think Murray's one of the best commentators we, we've ever had uh, in, in sport. I just think he's one of the nicest guys on the planet, quite frankly. And, and to have met Murray and spent time with him and, and, and to, to continue to do so today, you know, it, it is an absolute joy. Um, he was the first person I phoned up, actually. The, the, the night before Sky announced that I'd got the job, I thought, right, now, now's a good time to give Murray a call. And I actually, I actually phoned him up to say, guess what? I've got a new job. And uh, he couldn't have been more thrilled, which was lovely. And he's been really supportive whenever I've asked him a few questions about what we do. But I've, I've never tried to be a modern-day Murray. I don't want to be a modern-day Murray because you, you, you've got to be yourself. Mm. Now, if people think I am a modern-day voice of Formula One, that, that's absolutely lovely. And, and, and it's, it's the biggest compliment you, you could ever pay me. But I just try and go on there and, and, and commentate, you know, as myself with passion and love and enthusiasm and knowledge of the sport that, that we all adore. Uh, but don't think, oh, I must emulate Murray Walker because mm. if I was trying to do that, I'd fail miserably. You, no one could be Murray because no one could be that nice. He's just the greatest guy. <laughs> He yeah, really is. yeah, and he, we, he always comes across as, as as that as well, and obviously is so synonymous with with Formula One. But you mentioned earlier that you know Formula One wasn't wasn't always on your radar, particularly at the beginning. You were a fan of it, but maybe not you know quite the expert that you've become. What were the what were the sports that you were, were you were watching, and what was that first commentary gig you got? Obviously, you started off writing, but when did that first commentary gig? Uh, okay, well, we I, I was and still are a massive fan of cricket. Um, I, I used to play cricket, village cricket, um, uh, with my dad uh, years ago. Um, if I wanted to see my dad at a weekend, I used to have to go and watch uh, village cricket because he played on a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, I was a big fan of darts, so you know, getting into darts commentary didn't surprise me because because uh, I've always been a, a fan of that sport. Um, I say quickly, I, I went to Ali Pali uh, last year for the first time ever oh, to see darts, and my, my friend has been uh, my friend Robbo. He's a massive fan of darts. He's always been trying to get, get me to go and I, it's never happened until uh last year and i went and oh my god best night of my life really it was in it's madness it's absolute madness people dancing on the tables the du- people going mad it's crazy dress? what did you dress, what was up fancy dress uh we all dressed uh we all dressed up as um well it was it was uh, i think it was around christmas time so we we did do a bit of a cop out and just wear those christmas jumpers but then we saw everybody we saw, i didn't realize how seriously everybody took the dressing up until i got mm-hmm. there because you could see bananas in pajamas lurking about you saw 80 memorabilia bands so I think next time whenever the next time is full commitment to the dressing up because you have to yeah my my, my, my 
two favourite fancy dresses uh, and, and I sit in the studio looking out over the entire arena so I could see the lot uh, there was the guy who came as a packet of french fries and got <laughs> attacked by all his mates who were seagulls one year. Oh, that's that genius. was pretty good yeah. there, there was a guy who came as Jesus who <laughs> as I was stood talking outside once to Eric Bristow um, climbed over the fence on top of my car Never before have I shouted, Jesus, get off my Merc, um, that I had at the time. And there was also, there, was, there were 22, 22, yeah, 22 guys came with deal or no deal boxes uh, around oh, their necks. Oh, that is brilliant. And I'm thinking, what's all this about? Deal or no deal boxes? That's a bit rubbish. But when they sat down on the seats at the back, um, the boxes formed a perfect ledge so they could rest all their pints <laughs> on the boxes and not spill anything. <laughs> Genius. Fancy dress. Genius. That was just... <laughs> Awesome. This is, Formula One needs people to come in fancy dress. It does. Yeah, it so does. It's missing, really. Yeah. Everyone's talking about the fan interaction. Well, get them to dress up, and then I think you'll get a whole new wave of them. Absolutely. And um, where were we? Oh, yeah. So darts. Yeah, that was um, that was uh, very much on my radar. My first commentary ever. So no word of a lie. I um I, I started doing um, a few bits with Stevenage Borough, you know, the club call line and, and that sort of thing. Got in with this independent production company, did a few video voiceovers for them, just on a very very small level. And they phoned me up and they said, "Oh, have you ever done um, any football commentary?" I went, "Yeah, of course I have." Kicking the ball around the back garden, but I, um, I said yes. They went, "Oh, brilliant! We need a commentator in two weeks' time for the Toulon Under Twenty Football Tournament." Um, and just to provide the world feed. I went, yep, yeah, that's me. I'll do it. No worries. Thinking, oh, got a bit of holiday uh, owing to me at the theatre. I'll get the time off. Not a problem. And my first match, and this was when David Beckham played for the England under-20s. It was that long ago. And he played in that tournament. Uh, my first match was uh, France under-20s against South Korea under-20s. <laughs> I, I actually looked this up the other day, June the 5th. Um, it was um, way back in 1995. France won 1-0. Uh, Robert Pires, who went on to play for Arsenal, yes. uh, scored the only goal of the game. I have talked about this game with Robert Pires. <laughs> no, uh, what a came, drop. Who, uh, yeah, proper. Uh, big, there'll be clangs all the way through this. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, came, he came to Monza a few years ago, so we, we actually had a chat about it. He remembered the goal um, from, a, from a corner. He got, he got a header from a corner. But honestly, I, I wouldn't want to go back and hear that again now because I'm sure it was the worst commentary on the planet. But I, I did that and then did football for a year for West Country TV just for highlights. Um, I made so many mistakes, but just became comfortable talking into a microphone, practice, practice, practice. It started out with the hospital radio, did very much the same thing there um, and just developed a style. And, and from there, um, I, I went to work for the BBC because they asked me to do their breakfast sports bulletins. Uh, at the local radio station and I said look I'm, I'm doing West Country TV on a Saturday I've got my full time job at the theatre I'm coming in and doing this for you doing you know three hours before I start work Monday to Friday if you want me give me a full time job guys I, I just can't do this all the time so they, they did they gave me a full time job they gave me a month's contract and I gave up what I was doing um, in the theatre for a month's contract with the BBC and touch wood, I still think that wasn't a bad decision to have made. I've managed <laughs> no. to pay the mortgage ever since. <laughs> well yeah. done. Do you, are you, um, I guess in those early days, a lot of the time you would have been commentating on your own. How much yes. of a challenge is that? And, and do you still do that or are you very much alongside other people these days? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there, there are times uh, that, 
that uh, I'm on my own. Um, yeah, when Paul DeRest is texting people, I feel very much like I'm on my own. Don't so mention Paul DeResta too much because oh, Harry is slightly uh, obsessed I by him. Number one super fan of Paul DeResta here. <laughs> and he'll he'll start crying. <laughs> it'll get really messy. Big fan. Uh, I always thought he was he was hard done by in Formula One and deserves oh, a yeah, shot. Totally, totally. Paul DeResta was a way better talent than his Formula One record will, will ever suggest. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. I'm going. Our plan is to get him on here as well, and then just to—he's not going to speak. I'm just going to show all the facts that he should have been better, and he was. You'll better. be licking the screen and stuff. It'll be a sickening <laughs> affair. Oh, he's a—he's a top lad as well. There was a, a time at Silverstone where they didn't have the tires ready. The time at Silverstone where he qualified six, I think it was. Where, I know. Um, suddenly, the weighing scales revealed something different. I mean, it's just pathetic. Yeah, he was. Um, but no, I, I, I like working with Paul. He is—he is, he is a top lad, and, and we, have, we have some great arguments on air, which is always fun. <laughs> And actually, I think want to end an argument. Yeah, I think actually, because when he first started, I think he, he he needed a bit of media polishing. And I think actually, when he sits in for Martin Brundle as he has done a, a, a few oh, times over really the last last couple of years, he's really developed quite a lot. And actually, yeah. do you, you know? Can you take a bit of credit for that? Are you uh, are you happy to teach people alongside you, or, or is it just how do you commentate? You just got to have a natural way with things. I suppose, yeah, I, th- I think it's easier to commentate. Certainly for for drivers, it's easier to commentate on the race than it is practice session because there's more happening uh, for starters. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you try and give people pointers um, uh, uh, along the way. Paul will fill me in on the, the technicals of racing and I'll give him a few pointers about broadcasting. But he does, he takes it really seriously, as as does Ant and, and Karun as well. Mm. And, and Martin very much over the years. Um, there are times that I'm talking a bit on my own because Martin's rushing down to do the interviews uh, afterwards. And that, that can be quite hard because it's, when you're a commentary partnership, you you, you have the ability to, to shut up for a few seconds and, and take stock and have a think. Yeah. You know, it's it's really easy to sit and watch a timing screen and watch a race and pick out all the stories, but try doing that when you that when you're talking constantly. Yeah. Because thinking, absorbing, looking for information whilst you're talking is a multitasking feat that, that we weren't designed to do, gentlemen. No. You know, we're we're we are, we're going into territory that we Genetically, we're just not designed to do all that, um, but we try and we try and make the best of it. it. It's not that's the hardest part of the job is is finding and telling the narrative whilst conveying it at the same time, mm. and then occasionally having to listen to people talking in your ears whilst you're also talking. Yeah, that must um, be extremely challenging. There was a there was a, a something that I think I think it was Jake Humphrey shared the yeah, other day, did. where um, for those that haven't seen it, it, it was there were three or four screens up, and it was him with various people in his ear talking about different camera shots and angles whilst trying to present. How challenging is that sort of thing to pick up and run with? Well, well, so, so imagine uh, when we're in the Sky commentary box, I've got um, headphones on and they're, they're enclosed headphones so that noise from outside can't permeate um, what uh, my ears, as it were, because it's a very noisy environment. You have to have proper enclosed headphones. And when someone talks to you, you then don't hear your voice. So the first thing you think is, oh, I can't hear myself. I better raise my voice a bit. So you start shouting because you can't hear yourself. And then you realize, oh, actually, no, (laughs) I am still going out. It's just someone's talking to me. You you learn to only listen to the bits where you hear your name being mentioned because a lot of the chatter sometimes just doesn't concern you whatsoever. Um, But they're, they're... 
there's a general open talk back. So, so they're letting the, the producer, the director, whatever, let, letting us all know or, or my commentary colleague next to me. Um, but you, you just get used to it after a while. and you, you learn to listen out for two or three different conversations whilst still keeping a focus on yours. And it comes with experience and, and time. And, you know, it, it, it's the one thing you, know, you can't teach people how to cope with talk back. They just have to learn to get used to it. Yeah. And they really do. It's, it's, it's not the easy, it's not the most natural thing in the world, but it's all part and parcel because without our producers and directors, where would we be? You know, yeah. they're, they're keeping an eye on us so we don't all fall off air and look like idiots. Yeah, absolutely. What, what would you say is your, I mean, you, you have in a lot of people's eyes, a dream job, you know, you're, you're traveling oh, around. I've got, the, in my eyes, I've got it's a dream a, job. It's amazing. You travel around the world, you see amazing things. You go, have the privilege of, of working with some incredible people and, and meeting some of the, the world's greatest racing drivers. But what would you say is the very best part of your job? Oh, it's the bits where I shout lights out and away we go. Yeah, um, yeah, we can see on on your wall. It's <laughs> yeah. up there. Very nice. Well, we've just moved house and, and my gorgeous other half, Laura, as a moving in present, um, got the, the lights out and away we go in, in kind of wire letters uh, to put on the wall in the office. Um, oh, brilliant. Absolutely adore for for that. That was a really, really lovely touch. It doesn't quite work for darts, though. It doesn't work for darts. And it <laughs> lights out in the way we throw. Okay. I, yes. I use that line once or twice as well. <laughs> I've also got, you can see, I've also got a bottle of carbon champagne, which is the yes. champagne they spray on the podium, oh, yes. that someone turned into a lampshade. Nice. Uh, sorry, into oh, a, to a table lamp. Uh, that lights up. And a, a picture of Ayrton Senna that Graham Loudon drew. Graham Loudon oh, yeah, he's very talented. Those. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. So he, he gave us that quite a while ago. Um, and on the floor, I've got a Bruce Springsteen um, art book as well, which I need to put up on the wall. Um, anyway, getting back to it. My, my, the best bit about my job is that whenever I open my mouth, I have no idea what's going to be coming up in the next hour and a half, two hours. There's no script. Uh, there's preparation and there's planning. So, so I do my notes, obviously. But there's no script to what I do. It's all improv. It's all, you know, live and in the moment. And that's the best bit. Yeah. So it, it, my job will never get stale. It will never get boring because no two races are ever the same. And you can do all the preparation in the world, but something always happens that, that nobody is expecting. Yeah. So it's that adrenaline, that living uh, on your wits and your experience and your knowledge and your ability to do what you're doing that, that keeps you going time after time after time um i i wouldn't want to sit and just read a script all the time that's 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 not mm. what excites me I, I i love sport i love the buzz the adrenaline of live sport i'm not good enough to race in formula one to play cricket for england to play football for west ham i'm not probably good enough to be in their defense at times you know, take just <laughs> way before uh, it became acceptable to us all um you know and, and love them as i do you know, it's now 40 years since we won anything but um you know, I, I'm not good enough to be a top-level sportsman, but I am good enough, you know, to, to talk the talk if not walk the walk. You may not be you good enough. Talk. You you exactly. <laughs> you may not be good enough to be a top-level sportsman, Crofty, but you have been in a Formula One car. And and uh, yes. while while we were researching a bit for this this podcast, we we watched the uh, the YouTube video of you in the uh, the E20, the 2012 you know, I this car. feature on Sky. Yeah. Uh, what what was that like? I mean, when it finished, you looked you looked emotional. You were driving the Lotus, weren't you? The yeah. E20 car, E20. wasn't it? The one Kimi Raikkonen won in, in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi yeah. 2013. Shut up, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I didn't say that. I, no. I was tempted, but I didn't. What was it like? Um, 
it was one of the greatest five minutes of my life. You know, it's uh, we've all driven fast cars. Um, we've all pretended to be Formula One drivers, but only when you get in a Formula One car do you realise that you can go so fast through a corner. You can go so incredibly fast down a straight. You can stop impossibly in such a short space of time. Um, and the noise, the smell, the vibrations, it's just... It's, it's, it's very difficult to describe to people. Um, I wish we had footage of the whole lap. We don't. Um, I wish the onboard footage had all come out with my commentary, but I think I swore far too much for them to use some of it. You know, it was like, give us a commentary, Crofty. I'm, I'm doing my best just to keep yeah. this thing on the road. Um, I've got Pastor Maldonado giving me advice. Oh. I'm the, the sweetest guy. I love Pastor to bits because he's such a good bloke. He really is off the track. You know, there are some on the track that, that might say, differently almost two, um, two different personalities absolutely yes. you know, yeah this gemini i can appreciate that yeah um, <laughs> but it, it just it was just the biggest thrill and and i can't thank you know lotus um and their their program enough for allowing us to do that we there were quite a few journalists that day who did it um i was third fastest oh, yeah. um, i'm not i'm not meant to have known the times but the guys who were doing it, some of them are still at Renault now and, you know, seeing the paddock. Um, they actually did call me to the back where all the celebrity was and say, right, you know, do you want to know? I said, yeah. I said, you were third fastest. Um, and that's not bad. Uh, Jacques Lafitte's daughter was fastest. And wow. she's done quite a bit of karting and, and has raced a bit. The person who was second fastest had also done quite a bit. I was like, I was, I was the top of those that had no experience whatsoever. Um, Will Buxton was desperate to be the quickest. Of course he was. uh, Apparently lifted off and got it all wrong through senior and uh, was, was substantially slower than me. Sorry, well, I am going to keep telling that story uh, because you think you're something on a track. Well, you, that, you weren't. You, you've got an um, opportunity to uh, to beat him at something else a bit later as well because we've got a, a quiz for you and he he uh, no, he, he did okay. He, t- he took part in it a couple of weeks ago and uh, and did relatively well. So uh, if you right. could beat him in that a little later on, then I'm sure we you can will try his face as well. The, the, the best story I could give you from that day in terms of what it's like to drive an F1 car, it just makes you forget everything. Um, Jimmy Roberts, and I love Jimmy Roberts, a great journalist, you know, writes now um, for the, the official F1 uh, magazine. Um, Jimmy, we were told, outlap, time lap, in lap. Yeah? Jimmy doesn't know what his time is because he only did two laps. He lost count. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did an outlap and he did an in lap and he forgot the time lap because oh. you just, everything comes at you way too Yeah. Quick. It's amazing. It really was. Uh, well, let's. Um, what an amazing experience. First off, I just want to dive back ever so slightly to that to that time when you were at the BBC and you got that month contract. What 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 happened next? If it, if that means fast forwarding a little bit to when that first F one commentary opportunity okay. came about. Let's fast forward properly. Then after three weeks, it got extended to three months. After two months, it got extended to six months. After five months, it got it. Uh, I was given the full time. They kept gig. you on your toes then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Stuart Grand Prix <laughs> happened in that time. Uh, whilst I was at three, uh, three Counties Radio, that was our local team based in Milton Keynes. So I got to interview Paul Stewart and Sir Jackie Stewart Amazing. on a regular basis. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, and then I applied to join Five Live as a producer because uh, in those days, BBC ran a, a local radio training scheme. So you could go and work at Five Live and if it didn't work out, you'd get your old job back. It did work out and I stayed. Sports Extra started and I got a broadcasting job 
uh, on the initial stages of Five Life Sports Extra. Um, I went and covered the World Darts Championship because I happened to be doing late night sports bulletins and they needed someone to go and do the darts as well. So that fitted in quite nicely. Um, and I was just, uh, I, I was doing some football. I, I'd been to World Cups and Olympics and I, I was looking to specialise. And, and I was in a bar in Vegas in 2005 and uh, I was talking to Jason Swales, who at the time was the, the F1 producer for Five Life. And Jason said, you should be an F1 commentator. Like, yeah, you're drunk, shut up. And he said, no, 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 seriously, you'd be absolutely brilliant at it. I went, yeah, Jaden, it's two o'clock in the morning, mate. We've had a lot to drink. Let's do this conversation another time. But he kept on saying, look, we need a new commentator. You'd be perfect. You like the sport. You understand the sport. You know, you've been, I've been to Silverstone and presented sport on five a couple of times as, as well. And, um, and he persuaded me to audition and I got the gig and the production company, uh, that he'd attached himself to because it was going to an independent production company, got the gig as well. And from a conversation in, in a bar in Vegas, I, I became eventually five lives, uh, formula one commentator. So my, my first race was Bahrain 2006, uh, Fernando Alonso uh, won that one, and I didn't. I didn't think I'd last the season, to be honest. Because as much as I tried to learn as much as I possibly could, I, I quickly realised I, I knew absolutely nothing compared to everybody mm. else in the paddock. And it has been a, a voyage and a learning experience ever since. Do you, uh, do you remember how you felt at that first race before Exhausted. the lights went out? At, well, I before they were sweating went, buckets afterwards. Oh man, just a bit. <laughs> I, I was terrified before it started because. Um, yeah, Honestly, how, how do you know that you can keep that narrative going for, for you know an hour and a half, an hour and three quarters as well? You don't until you've tried it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I sometimes I do I, I, I do some um, some gatherings, some ask Crofty gatherings, and, and get people to, to to have a go at some commentary. And everyone's great for ten seconds, and then think, well, what do I say next? Yeah. You know, it, it, as you can tell, I, I don't have that problem. I just talk till the cows come home, but, you know, <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Um, but it's it's very difficult to keep that narrative going, keep the pace and the enthusiasm going. I, I know I was mm. utterly exhausted at the end of that first race. And, st- and still am to a certain extent. At some races today, you come off air and you think, oh, blimey, where did the last two hours go? Germany last year, for instance. And I'm absolutely knackered, but that was just brilliant. It, it, is, is, it is a real skill. And actually I, I've actually worked for the same production company that you, you started with Crofty. That's where I saw, I, I got okay. in there when I was 18 and I, uh, I was making the teas and working my way up that way. Um, and uh, one time I was at the British Grand Prix with them when they were doing uh, uh, F1. I think it was their final year of doing it. They don't do it anymore. But um and I was just there as a, as a runner, that kind of thing. And the producer um, said, uh, a woman called Chesie said, um, oh, like it was GP2 practice or something. And she was like, hop up, just have a, have a go. It, was, it wasn't going out of it. She was just like, have a go, have a go. And I was like, what? Just have a go. And I was sat there with, you know, with the commentator who was just there sat making it. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I don't, okay. Um, so I, I stuck the headphones on. This wasn't going out anywhere, just literally to the room. And that was it. And on GP2 practice of all the things to first commentate on, it was one of the most, I luckily I, kn- I knew about GP2, knew the drivers were, blah, blah, blah. but my God, commentating on a practice session for GP2, I could do about the first few cars that came out of the pits. But after that, 
I just didn't know what to say anymore. I mean, I was, I was just like, well, how, how do you, how do you do a practice session, let alone, uh, well, I suppose the race is more to talk about, but it, it gave me a newfound respect. Yeah, we, well, thank you for that. Um, we, we started the practice sessions uh, on Five Live and the commentary, and, and it was always my intention to create a test match special vibe for motor racing uh, within those practice sessions. So, you can talk about the pictures, but a lot of the time they're, they're not relevant mm. or particularly interesting. So we try and, and uh, we have a narrative, we have a conversation. If, if something happens that's, that needs to be talked about, we talk about it. You know, we're, we're re- I'm really lucky at Sky. Ted is patrolling the pit lane uh, and, and nothing gets past Ted. No, I mean, nothing gets past Ted. Um, Karun, when he's down there, knows absolutely everybody. Paul has got this brilliant um, technical mind, Ant as well. Um, Johnny comes in with some, you know, weird and wonderful tales. Damon <laughs> will pop in and, and, and we just create this test match special vibe. We, we all are very different characters and don't try and tread on toes or pretend to be anybody else. And we invite the audience and the viewers to, to, to contribute to the discussion as well. Um, and then obviously it gets the, the tone changes for qualifying and, and for the race itself. But that's, that's all we ever try and do. It's just, it, it, it's a conversation. It's like this podcast, uh, to be honest, but there are things going on in the background. You know, we all yeah. love, we all love a good conversation. So the, the easiest way to, to anyone who thinks about how on earth can I become a commentator, so just feel comfortable having a conversation. Mm. and listen to what other people are saying and respond to it. Because the best question in any interview and in any broadcast is the one where someone says something really interesting and you go, really? And then suddenly your person you're interviewing is engaged because he knows you're interested and you're listening and the audience go with you as well because they know you're interested. And if you're interested, it must be really interesting. And it's just a conversation, you know? Mm. Uh, so, well, what was that? So that was BBC. Then what was that first? How did the Sky gig come about then? Because obviously they took over the rights and then you are announced as the commentator, the lead commentator. That must have been a real special moment in your career oh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, it was Hungary in 2011 uh, when the BBC, the BBC had gone to Sky to say that we can't afford to carry on covering Formula One the way we are on the television side. Can you help us out? Sky never muscled in. It was the BBC wanting you know, the, the, the help. And obviously Sky said yes, because, you know, if someone says you want to get involved with F1, you know, you do especially if you're the best sports broadcaster in the world, which I happen to believe Sky are and always have done ever since I first started subscribing in circa 1996. Mm. Um, so I'm on hair on the Wednesday, on, on that Friday morning on Five Live, talking about the deal, thinking, right, how do I play this? Because obviously some people are going to be a bit upset because it's going to be, you know, subscription TV. But I'm not going to say that too much because I quite like to go and work for Sky if that's all right. You know, I already said to my agent, I'm make make a phone call, uh, see if they're interested. And I, I, I met uh, the head of Sky Sports, uh, his number two, and the uh, the man who became head of F1 at the next Grand Prix, which, which was in Spa. And it just happened to bump into them. It was really quite fortuitous. And we got talking and, and we had a, you know, about half an hour conversation. And they asked uh, uh, my eventual boss, Martin Turner, he, he said to me, and they said, oh, by the way, he said, how'd you get on with Martin Brundle? I said, I know really well, to be fair. I said, we don't really work together very much. We haven't worked together at all, really, even though, you know, we're both at the BBC. But, you know, we, we, we have a drink. We share we share some stories. I said, I was uh, with him for a night out in Hungary. Yeah, he's a, he's a good lad. We get on quite well. And, and thought nothing of it. 
But then it became very apparent that they were interested in me and they were interested in Martin as well. Um, I, I remember Martin and I were having a... <laughs> We have quite an in-depth conversation about it in Korea later that season. You remember the old bridge that used to go above the main straight in Korea, that really ornate uh, kind of Korean-style temple bridge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in that talking about, oh, so Scott, I've been in touch. Yeah, he was there. They made you an offer. They made you an offer. Yeah, they have. And, and we're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. You really fancy working together. Well, actually, no, it could be quite a laugh, couldn't it? At which point the, the producer of the BBC TV Formula One uh, output came across the bridge and caught Martin and I having the conversation. And and the way that we quickly shut up like naughty schoolboys kind of gave the game away a little bit, to be fair. <laughs> it's like, whoops, we've just been busted. Um, but we had to keep it quiet. And, and we knew for about three races, I think, before the end of the season, um, you know, we'd signed the contract, it had all been done, but we couldn't say anything. So it was a bit weird, actually, that, you know, we talk now about driver contracts and driver market speculation. And on a much reduced scale, we, we were kind of going through the same sort of thing. Because everyone kept asking, oh, you're going to go to Sky, aren't you? Well, you know. It was, nice, yeah, it was the, the broadcasting silly season uh, rather exactly. than the Formula One, yeah. <laughs> Can't say, not allowed to say, you know. And, and then kind of we announced it in uh, December, I think it was, of, of 2011. It, it, it took me when when... when I got the call and they asked me, it took me all of about five seconds to say yes. Yeah, yeah huge so. opportunity. I, absolutely. And and I think, you know, for, for the few people that were a bit anti-Sky uh, when we first came in, I, I hope we've managed to convince people that we're not just in it because we're Sky and this is Formula One and we, we're the big boys. You know, we... we we actually care about F1 and F1 fans. We wouldn't have set up an F1 channel mm. if we didn't care and think that we could do things on a grander scale. You know, I think as a, as a, as a Formula One fan, you know that every time a wheel turns, you know where you can see that action. We're always going to be there. Um, you know, we want to be around for a long, long time to cover what we all think all of us involved in, in Sky Sports F1 and at the top level as well, because there's there's a lot of interest in F1 from the from the very top level at Sky. We we want to be there for the fan, providing informative, exciting you know, technically superb action, race after race after race. Yeah. You know, we're all fans and we're, yeah. you know, it's... Well, how, how lucky are we... Fans, but yeah. How lucky are we to have, as fans, to have our own sports channel yeah. de- dedicated to the sport that we all follow i mean you know that's not that's not incredibly frequent that you you get that opportunity um exactly and, and and we've been around now for well what, what's this now 2012 this oh, yeah. our meant to be our ninth season i think <laughs> time has flown by yeah, yeah. and i, I really remember has australia 2012 yeah we really can yeah um, we'll test your memory shortly. Um, yeah, that'll come in handy. Wh- one thing I'm I'm curious to know is, so you've been doing this some time now. Obviously, you're interviewing people often in very heated circumstances. Um, it could be they've just got out of a car and they've had a stressful time. Can you put your finger on the worst or most tense interview you've ha- ever had to do? Oh, blimey. I, I remember in 2007... We uh, we were all promised an interview with Lewis Hamilton after he lost the world title by a point, and his dad, uh, Anthony, wasn't overly keen on on allowing him down to to meet the press. 
Um, and in the end, myself, John McAvoy from the Daily Mail, and I think it was Alan Baldwin, who was a writer from Reuters, got to go up and do a pooled interview for everyone. And, and I got to go first. And talking to Lewis the day after the title had slipped away. That that was a pretty tense interview. You had to be pretty careful the way you, you phrase the questions. Yeah. Yeah, we're not out to get him, but you know, that 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 that, that disappointments that uh, of a disastrous end to the season was still uh, very much apparent. Um I remember I remember interviewing John Booth um in Hungary after Jules Bianchi had oh, passed away. Yeah. It was of course the, the race after the funeral and, and being so grateful uh, that John agreed to do this interview with us. Um, we, there were, there were tears in both our eyes uh, at the end of the interview. I can tell you that, but once again, just having to be careful that you didn't overstep the mark on any question yeah. that, you, that you treated things with the most respect. Interestingly, we, we, you know, I suppose, um, on a lighter note, but but very distressing at the time for him. We, we've just recorded a watch along with Felipe Massa um, of the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2008. Now, now some people think this might be a really harsh thing to do, but Felipe was really up for it because uh, we obviously we've talked about Brazil 2008 from Lewis's standpoint, even from Timo Glock's standpoint, but we've never done anything with Felipe. And, you know, he won the bloody race for God's sake. Yeah. So um, we actually made him watch the whole race again. <laughs> Brutal. Um, um, you can see it. So we're on a Wednesday afternoon. So uh, I think by the time the podcast goes out, this, this will be available to watch. But Martin, Ted and Felipe and myself just a couple of days ago sat down and, and socially distanced, watched that race again. And Felipe yeah. was just, he was so, magnificent throughout it all but you're well aware that whilst this was one of his proudest moments it was also possibly his worst moment yeah. in terms of sporting um, disappointment uh, on a racetrack so yeah there are often tense times Jensen Jensen nearly swore at me once when the pressure was getting to him in 2009, I asked him a question and he gave me an answer, glared at me through the entire answer and finished it off with, and those people that know me well wouldn't say things like that. Ooh, and cutting. then walked off. Oh. And I, I, I've spoken to him about this since, because obviously now we work together, you know, we can do yeah. um, And uh, he said, yeah, no, uh, by the time we got to Japan, it, it was a bit... It was a bit tense, and uh, yeah, anything you would have said that day would, would have would have upset me. So don't worry about it so much. So you know, it's, that we, we, what I would say, Nathan, we are so lucky in the the access we get to the drivers, the team principals, the teams themselves. It is way above a lot of other sports. Yeah. Um, that you know, sometimes we get a duff interview. Most of the time, we get really good interviews. So, yeah. But we yeah. get the access, and that's the main thing. Absolutely. And you know? you've met some of the greatest racing drivers around. Who's your top three? Who's <laughs> my top three? God blimey! Um, I find it very difficult to, to do this sort of thing um, in no particular order. Yeah, because I, I, I can't, I can't rank my top three as a one, two, three. But in terms of, of the, the legends of the sport, it has been an absolute privilege to sit and have conversations with Nicky Lauder, who, who I miss greatly to this day. Should have been a Yorkshireman. 
Uh, you know, said what he likes, like what he said, uh, at all times, and never ever did anything that wasn't true. Nicky Lauda at that point, I called him dude once to his face, <laughs> and he allowed me to call him dude because he was a dude. It's as simple as that. Um, so Nicky Lauda, um, Lewis Hamilton, who I have been at to commentate on every single one of his polls, victories, podiums, world championships. Um, you know, go back a long way and I think we'll be the best of the best by the time he retires. You know, we, we, we're lucky. We really are very lucky to be witnessing a driver of Lewis's talent in this era yeah. and to see guys like Max, Charles, you know, Nico, when he was his teammate, you know, take the fight to him as well. Um, it, it, it is a golden era. It really is in, in Formula One and, and we shouldn't, put the rose tinted glasses on as much as we do. Yeah. So, so Lewis would be really up there and, and, you know, we've never had a crossword. Um, you know, we've had a few laughs al- al- along the years as well. And I, I don't think he's going to be retiring anytime soon. Uh, and, and, and that's good. You know, he's a Steamish boy as well. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We, we, we have to stick together. Absolutely. Lads, <laughs> where, where we go around the world. Okay. So Lewis, uh, Nicky, and who would be my, obviously Paul the rest are not included in this. Well, line. Yeah, look, Paul, Paul is up there. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with Paul for many, many years. And in terms of, of the greats of the sport, the, the people that it's been a, a pleasure, I'd, I'd probably put JYS uh, in there. You know, I've shared a commentary box with JYS as well. And, and the man is just a proper legend. And I remember in, in Monaco in 2008, I think it was, I'm sat in the Williams motorhome, uh, minding my own business. And, and I just get this tap on the shoulder. And I look around, and I've got this small Scottish chappy saying, oh, you're out there, Crofty. Uh, can I join you for lunch there? Are you busy? Very good impression. I'm like, I could do Nicky Lauder and JYS. Um, He said, um, he asked me if he could join me for lunch. I'm like, oh my lord, JYS wants to join me for lunch. This is this. I must have made it now. This this this. uh, I must have some sort of standing in this paddock. Life is complete. Uh, Life is complete. Yes, Um, and it was. It was just. It was. It was just a really lovely moment. I I was a big fan of JYS uh, as a youngster as well. I had one of the old uh, model cars of the Tyrrell that he used to drive, Um, and that was that was kind of lovely. And um, we'll finish this podcast and I will think of a, about 20 more. Oh, sure. Know, well, that's a pretty, make... pretty solid lineup, no, to be fair. <laughs> um, Nikki Lauda. I mean, we, we, uh, we were talking, we had uh, a chat with uh, Freddie Hunt uh, last week and we were talking about his dad's relationship with, with Nikki. Uh, mm. I think, it, I think it was, I mean, it was, it, it felt sort of emotional just talking about it, especially with Freddie. I think it was the first time on this podcast we've actually had real <laughs> emotion. It was, it was, you could feel it, you know, that even though Freddie was so, young when his dad passed he knows the history he he remembers oh. bits and pieces from that time and and god it it really does get you there was such a genuine warmth between nikki and, and james as well which i think came over to me at the end of the, of, of rush that that that, that mm. came through that that marvelous ending where we go to the real life nikki louder yeah. and, and and just see that look on his face as he remembers his old friend i i was really lucky um spoiler alert there's young kids watching here and um, there's some bad language coming up but i can only apologize right because <laughs> nikki liked a bit of bad language he just yeah. didn't care so i was really lucky at the premiere of rush i got to interview some of the people on the red carpet for, for the film producers and um Nikki came along 
this is the most surreal moment. I was interviewing David Hasselhoff. Oh, the Hoff. Um, Legend. Who, who was a, actually, I created a tense interview because I, of all the things I could have talked to David Hasselhoff about, I started off with SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't do. think he really wanted to be remembered. Certainly not in front of, I think it was his niece that he was with, um, that uh, he was um, he was actually in. So, I'm, he's, I've asked him a question. He's not really being very responsive. And then suddenly in my ear, right, Crofty, go get Nicky Lauder. He's arriving. Right, sorry, sorry, the Hoff got to go. And off we went. And Nicky came up and uh, I was waiting for my cue. And I just said, Nicky, just, just uh, it's for the producers. We're live on the internet around the world. Do me a favor, please don't swear because there'll be children watching. And I know you're like, you know, you swear words. Oh, not the problem. It's okay. So um, we did the interview, and it was it, it was it was lovely. And I, uh, my final question, I said, I said, but you know, on, on a gorgeous evening like this, I said, isn't it such a shame that James can't be with us tonight? You know, how much would you like to be walking along this red carpet with James? Oh God, yes, you'd love this. Would have been superb. We watched the film, and then we can go off and get pissed somewhere. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> oh, Nikki, you just swore. Oh shit, bugger. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and then he starts laughing. And that sparkle in Nicky's eyes uh, come, comes out because he knew he was being a bit pesky at that stage and he just couldn't help himself. And, you know, off he trotted, very happy that he'd stitched me up completely. But, you know, there was such a genuine warmth whenever yeah. he talked about uh, James. And I, I think the film did a really good job uh, conveying oh, it's that. It's a cracking I, I, film. I liked Rush. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a super film. Yeah, it was a brilliant film. Um, now, Crofty, uh, I think it's time uh, we get a little bit more serious now. Uh, you I've been putting this moment off by walking yes, on. Yes, I know. The time has come. Uh, it's now time for the hardest quiz in motorsports. <laughs> this is Motor Mouse. Cue music. Thank you, Tim. Uh, now, um, at the moment, it is a really tough leaderboard. The overall leaderboard, currently as it stands, Brendan Hartley tops the table. Didn't do that much in Formula 1, but he did it here in Most Mouth Quiz with 12 and a half points. Uh, at the bottom, in 20th place, you'll be pleased to hear it's Karun Chandhok with three and a half points. But he knows everything about everything in Formula 1. He let himself down uh, that indeed, day. The thing with this quiz is that it's a test about yourself as well, so you think oh, you'd be able to know it. He just had a bit of a shocker. There are 13 points up for okay. grabs. Uh, Brendan have, Hartley got 12 and a half out of yeah, the team. He played a blinder. Superbly well. Um, now, there are four clips we're going to play you. Uh, yeah. You're going to listen to them. And then there are three questions within each clip uh, you have to answer. It's basically a what, where, and when. Um, and it's all of you during your commentary uh, days and years of in, in recent times. Well, I'll say recent, probably not that recent, but uh, you might have to cast your mind back a little bit. And then a bonus question at the end for an extra point. Um, are you ready for clip as, number as one? As I ever will be. I'm expecting <laughs> a full house here. Here we go. Question number one. Right, so Stappen have collided and yes, Vettel going backwards. He is off and looks to be out of it too. He's reversing round turn five. Sebastian Vettel has lost his front wing. Disaster for him and his teammate at the start. Now, what's going on there? Where is it happening? And what's the year? Are you making notes? Uh, yes. That's very professional um, of you. Okay, that's, that's, that's the Singapore Grand Prix. 
That's the opening lap. Um, Max Verstappen in the middle of Sebastian Vettel on the right-hand side and Kimi Raikkonen on the left-hand side as they go down the grid. And the two Ferraris have concertinaed into young Max Verstappen to give him his full name. And uh, they're all out. And Fernando Alonso, I think, went out as well. Uh, And that was at turn one. Uh, actually, Seba carried on, but he lost his front wing, which came off by the time we got to turn five. So he's out of the race as well. And that is Singapore 20... Oh. It was all going so well. I had to look this up because I got the year wrong when I was when I was watching yeah. it. I think it's 20... 16. Oh, so close. So close. It's 17. Oh, Oh, so close. But you know what? That is a strong start. Two out of three for that. Very good start. You know what? I'm I'm, I'm kicking myself now because I was trying to think because we used that clip as part of our opening titles and I was trying to think of the year that we did it. So I'm thinking, oh, it was 17, wasn't it? Because, yeah, yeah, it's six. No. Because, yeah, I'm kicking myself. <laughs> it's now, a good start. I should have known because the titles from 2017 we used Rosberg and Hamilton coming together mm. at turn three, which was the race that was in Spain. That was the day after I'd gone to see Bruce Springsteen at the new camp the night before. <laughs> and in a moment of sheer unprofessionalism, I'd sung along to every single song in the three and a half hour concert. And the next morning, totally next morning with oh the sorest of sore throats. I could barely speak before midday. Well, that's, <laughs> listen, it was that, dreadful. that's great intel, but it is not going to help you with this quiz. <laughs> no. <laughs> a valiant effort, though. A good, um, good value, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on. To clip number two. Here it comes. Hamilton gets away well, and Jensen Button comes back and even Roman Grosjean loses places right from the start. Great start from Michael Schumacher once again. Into the first corner goes Jensen Button ahead of Lewis Hamilton and already going wide. One of the Toro Rosso's spinning round is Bruno. Now, hopefully, that the few names in there will give you a, a few hints as to what the year was, but where and sort of what what is going on there. Oh, my Lord. Oh, we've got so him here, we, Harry. We had a lot of names in there. We had Jensen Button. Yeah. We had yeah, Michael Jensen Schumacher. Button. We had Bruno Senna. We had a Toro Rosso. Yeah. I, I want to say that's Brazil. And I want to say that's where Sebastian Vettel crashes into Bruno Senna. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Br- that again, was Bruno Senna up there with Paul DeResta. That, wa- that was blooming heartbreaking. Um, and that would have been 2012. Um, when Seb won the title and came through to uh, with a superb drive with a badly damaged car. But that all happened at Decida de Lago, which seems a little bit too far away from the start. So I'm not quite sure that's right. See how I'm padding here. I like the way you're working <laughs> through this, though. You're working I'm, through you it. This, you're the right year. Mm-hmm. 2012 is the correct year. But- right. So if it's 2012 is the correct year, can I hear the clip one more time? Yeah, you let's may. Clip again. Here it is. Hamilton gets away well and Jensen Button comes back at him and Roman Grosjean loses places right from the start. Great start from Michael Schumacher once again. Into the first corner goes Jensen Button ahead of Lewis Hamilton and already going wide. One of the Toro Rosso's spinning round is Bruno St- I want to say that's the Australian Grand Prix then, if Jensen was that high up with Lewis, because Jensen went on to win the race. That that might have been Sky's first ever race if it was 2012 then. It absolutely was. I'm going to give you the full points for that. Full Australia, you points. worked it out in the way. You worked it out. So Australia, and that is you, of course, commentating on the opening of the first, the first corner of the Australian Grand Prix, Sky's first uh, broadcast. That must have yeah. been an <laughs> all-guns-blazing effort. 
I, listen, I, I remember, I remember that weekend vividly. And yeah. to be honest, I think we were all on a uh, running at a million miles an hour uh, that particular weekend, and I don't think we've calmed down ever since. To be fair, <laughs> but yes, Jensen Button won the first ever race that we showed live on mm. on Sky F1. Yeah. Well, this, uh, it this, was, uh, it was a- this is looking good, and this is on track to be the highlight of your career, so keep it going, Crofty. <laughs> yeah, okay. you're doing well. You're already way ahead of Karun Chandot. You've beaten Nicky Shields. Not difficult, to be fair. Uh, let's see if we can get some, some uh, more names ticked off that list. Let's do um, it. Clip number three. Here it comes. Alonso, the Sauber is through. One more Leroy Jenkins moment from Kamui Kobayashi before he waves goodbye to... <laughs> Now, I hate to be the ignorant one, but can can you explain Leroy Jenkins? Okay, so Leroy Jenkins, this is Anthony Davidson's fault. Um, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins uh, is a clip, uh, what's, is it World of Warcraft or something like oh, that? Right. It is the game where they're all sat around going, so we're going to go into now uh, attack the room and you do this and you do this. And if I just take my crossbow <laughs> and fire off tooth, and they're, they're being very analytical about the whole thing. And when they get in there, one of the guys goes, oh, stop this, and just start shooting everyone and screaming, Leroy Jenkins! And, and basically everybody dies because he goes for the bands I move. And Bui Kobayashi just seemed to me to be the driver that summed up the spirit yeah. of Leroy Jenkins. That's amazing. He, 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 honestly, if there was half a space, he'd make it into a full space by giving <laughs> people a few taps on the way past. Yeah. I loved Kamui Kobayashi. And, and, it was one of the great, great moments that we often forget about, actually, when he stood on the podium in Japan. And I think that was 2012, it, our first year. It was certainly the early days of Sky, but he stood on the podium at Suzuka after getting a third place for Sauber. What a moment that was for, for mm. Japanese motorsport, for us watching it, for everyone in the crowd who were crying their eyes out that, that he, he'd done it. And for Kamui himself, who's such a lovely bloke, Kamui Kobayashi. Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, you've got two at points there, 2012 and Kamui Kobayashi. Okay. Are so you that saying wasn't... that are you saying it happened at Japan? Is that your no, final? No, no, no. I think I think I don't think because 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 what I say is one more final Leroy Jenkins moment. I think that's Abu Dhabi then that we're uh, we're talking about oh, later in the season. Close, I'm afraid close. it's Brazil. Twenty. Oh, Brazil. Oh, oh, it's Brazil. Nearly there, um, but still looking I, good. Two out of three. You're consistent, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> right, this is just... 41 was my average. 2021 was what got every single day. <laughs> well, there's one more clip to play and then a bonus question. So let's see okay. how much higher up we can get. Right, final clip for you. Here we go. Oh, he went into him. He, he might have lost a bit of front wing there, Sebastian Vettel. And he's saying to Hamilton, what did you do? That's all you get. That's Baku. That's when Seb... Um, put a bit too much right hand down yep. after he claimed Lewis had brake tested him. Yes. Um, so that's Baku. Oh my Lord. Have you got the year? So this was the year that Daniel Ricardo won. Is it 2017? It Spot is 2017. Three out of three. <laughs> Round of applause. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was another stupid race to commentate on I want to say stupid I mean epic Um, because you just you just didn't know what was going to happen next for heaven's sake you know it was um and, and, and it's, you know, I do my notes, I do my preparations, and then you just get a race like that where you, you, you barely away. reference your notes because there's so much going on to yeah. take on board. 
How was that three years ago? That ha- three years ago already. That's insane. Uh, it is crazy how, how quickly those years pass. And Baku always Hang throws on. up a crazy race, it seems. Can I just check something a minute? Right, oh, no. That, that was Baku twist. Look, I, have, I always have this thing. Oh, right no. By me. Harry, oh, no. we're going to get found oh, out no. here. I'm this worried is... now. <laughs> no, no, no. We do no, no, say no. this is I... the hardest uh, quiz in motorsport because no one really knows the answers. So... No, my research can sometimes prove a little bit flawed at times. I wasn't that year. I was trying to work out whether that was on my birthday. It wasn't. Oh, um, Baku okay. was falling on my birthday before, but it was the 25th of June. Ah, uh, okay. Which is, Summer uh, baby. Probably nearer. Not quite a Johnny birthday Herbert's celebration birthday. then. Well, you've done very well, Crofty. Can you get a bonus point for answering this? Go. Name the top three finishers from the 2012 Australian Grand Prix, your first Grand Prix commentating for Sky. The top three finishers from the 2012 Australian Grand Prix. Don't you dare open that book. (laughs) Would I I dare go anywhere near that book? (laughs) To my left-hand side. There's your eyes. I'm not looking at it. No. (laughs) Not looking at it at all. Uh, Well, Jensen Button uh, was the first guy. Oh, my Lord. This is actually quite difficult, isn't it? And you need this point as well. If I do, gonna be well who if who do I beat? You will draw level with Will Buxton if you get this. I will draw level with Will Buxton. If, if you, you get, get this point, you will draw oh level. Lord. Right, okay. So. Do we give any clues? Gents- no, 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 no. no. Don't you need well, we that. did play you the clip earlier on. So, you did. Uh, you did. Jensen Button. Correct. Sebastian Vettel. Correct. Lewis Hamilton. Absolutely spot on. Buttonville Hamilton, that gives you an extra bonus point, which takes you, Crofty, to 11 out of 13. So not too shabby. Now, because we've had 20 people so far on this Motormouth uh, quiz, Mm -hmm. and it is competitive. So you haven't quite outdone Brendan Hartley, but 11 sees you slot into sixth position, I'm afraid. Sixth. It's really tight at the top. Yeah. But I hate this. Uh, Just below Jenny Gale. Now, oh. 12 points. Oh, yeah, but Jenny Rory... stays up late to do, a, to do all of these <laughs> I, I can't compete with her dedication. <laughs> but you're among good company. Uh, Will Buxton is equal with you with 11. Ollie Rowland and Sebastian Buemi are with you there as well. However, that's the overall leaderboard. Uh, and in our season three leaderboard, you go equal top with Will Buxton hey. beating David Coulthard on the podium you only got 10 <laughs> you see that, in which case then if I if I am the biggest the best DC on the season 3 yes. leaderboard I will take that <laughs> and, do, do, honestly do you want to hear a really good story for you very quickly I, Absolutely. I've, just, I've just moved house uh, just before the lockdown uh, started and um, I've put a few pictures on Instagram etc and we Word has obviously got out that uh, somebody from F1 has moved into into the village. Um, one of our neighbours uh, was talking to over the garden fence the other day. Said, "Oh, by the way, just been to the hardware shop." I said, "Have you? Oh, yeah, a lot of gossip going on at the hardware shop." I said, "Was there?" He said, "Yes, a couple of Formula One fans in there talking about this F1 personality that's moved into the village." I went, "Really?" I said, "And what were they saying?" He said, "Oh, they're, they're really excited because David Coulthard apparently has moved in." I said, "He has." As he's abandoned that tax-free lifestyle in Monaco, yes, they are convinced in the hardware shop in the village that David Coulthard has moved. 
Oh. As, as soon as we get out of lockdown, I'm going to go and completely disappoint them uh, yeah. by turning up. The anti-climax. <laughs> oh, DC. dear. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Not well, at all. Well, thank you for playing Motormouth. It was An a sterling effort. Score. Well I done. I might ring DC up. I might ring DC up and actually get him on FaceTime as I walk into the hardware shop. Yeah, please do. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, listen, Crofty, we've, uh, we could talk all day, but unfortunately really we are yeah. running out of time. So uh, we have three final, relatively quick fire questions to throw your way. Um, I'll kick okay. off. So number one, what's got you excited at the moment? Um, the fact that West Ham haven't w- uh, lost a match since the beginning of March. Give David Moyes the manager of the month award <laughs> right now. In fact, actually give David Moyes a, a lot of praise because he's, be, he's been delivering stuff for, for people, food parcels and stuff um, where he lives, uh, which I think is, is a really great, great thing. Um, what's really got me excited actually is, is the fact that... Um, well, a, a, I'm making sausage rolls and, and cooking, and I, I actually quite enjoy spending time in the kitchen. That's been really nice. Sausage rolls with parma ham and... Also, not just your nice. standard uh, yeah, no, sausage rolls. These are pretty classy sausage mm. rolls. Um, but what's really getting me excited is that um, as, as we tick on, yes, we're still in lockdown. Yes, we're still socially distancing, and we're observing all the rules we should, but we're getting closer to Formula One coming back. And we are. That, is going to be sensational. It won't, won't solve all the problems of the world, but it will unite us all with the sport that we love taking place again. I, I just can't wait. If not doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? We sat down in the pub talking just as much about Formula One uh, to people who probably didn't want to listen to me at the time. And <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, Martin and I often say if we weren't doing what we were doing for Sky, We'd uh, we'd just meet up in an alternative universe and mm. uh, and, and talk through it anyway. I'd, I'd be sat watching live sport rather than stood watching live sport and and bringing that live sport to millions of people around the world. Excellent. Final question for you, Crofty. What am I scared of? Yes, uh, snakes. I hate snakes. Uh, I was with my two uh, young sons and um, we were in a uh, we were in a crocodile zoo and they had snakes there as well. And the crocodiles didn't terrify me so much as the snakes because snakes kind of the head moves and the tail moves. It's a bit like it's, it's, it's a bit like river dance. You know, things move and other things stay still and it's just it just looks weird. Um, river dance scares me a bit as well. Um, it's just not right. Um, <laughs> Flatly. Uh, and, the, and the woman said, would you like to hold the snake? And I'm like, no, not really. And Daniel was like, go on, daddy, you can hold the snake. Mm, well, here we go. Better, better look good in front of the boys. And I picked this thing up and I, it moved and it looked at me and it just, <laughs> no, I hate them. I can't, I can't watch snakes on TV either. I really am not a fan. Phobia. Um, that and tea bags. Tea bags. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a minute. Tea bags. Tea bags. Why? Well, I don't like tea. It's tasteless and it's pointless and it's useless. Oh my god! Um, Sacrilege! Get him off! Cancel the whole <laughs> thing. But my other half, um, who is lovely and, and I absolutely adore, claims that I make the best tea in the world. So I'm faced with a quandary of disappointing the woman that I love 
um, or protecting myself here. So I, I go, I go with a well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I go and make you a cup of tea. Yeah. I hate tea bags. They just have this horrible, squelchy, soggy, wow, bizarre, yucky feel to them, and I just they mess with me completely. I do that, not like them. That's so well, weird. I'm that's <laughs> that, that's one of the weirder ones we've had, if not the weirdest. Yeah. That's up there with mine, I which is I've got a, I've I've got a phobia of uh, multiple tiny holes. And that's, an, it's an actual, it's an actual thing. Anything like a sponge with lots of holes in it, I can't even look. I can't even talk about it. It just freaks me out. Yeah, wow. weird. Yeah, there'll be other. There's people out there with it. You couldn't work for Brembo Brakes or anything like that. It'd be a disaster. That, that no, really wouldn't mess with no, me. I'd be passing out all over the place. Now, listen, Crofty. Yeah, but tea bags have lots. Tea bags have lots of holes in them. Yeah, they do, but you can't really see them. <sighs> I can. Horrible, horrible little I thing. I think it's that is that wins. I'm sorry, that that absolutely wins, Crofty. <laughs> and you've won the you've won the podcast. I think I guess you an extra point. Actually. Yes, he's won. He's won it. What an honour, <laughs> Crofty. Listen, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you for taking time out of your day oh, to join us. Guys. I can't wait to get going, guys. Thanks for inviting me on. And take care, everyone. Stay safe. And uh, and pretty soon it'll be lights out uh, and away we go. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and on facebook just search motormouth you can download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast We here at Motormouth are a small, independent team. Since starting this podcast just over a year ago, we're reaching over 15,000 of you across 30 countries around the world. And we want to bring the biggest names in motorsport to you. Find out about their lives and careers and have a chat about whatever is going on in the motorsport world. We are determined to carry on producing these episodes. However, they do come at a cost. From securing guests to equipment and editing software and expanding the podcast and app, That's why we've set up a Patreon page where you can help us to carry on doing what we do. There are three levels at which you can contribute, starting from £5 a month to £10 or £20. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shout-outs, and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world. 